The following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm Chapter 19 A Sword Remembered Solus, smiling weakly, accepts the polearm and the two-handed sword from his companions. He turns the sword especially in his hands, admiring the strength of its lines and the weight of it. The sword is made of iron, and although simply made, Solus notices some faint embellishments on the metal, a few small swirls that show the attention of the smith who made it. Something about this sword, says Solus. I dreamt of it while I was under. And what did you dream? asks Stockholm, and some of the others were soon attentive to hear the answer too, for in the Iron Realm, sometimes dreams would have power. I can't remember, says Solus, with a hint of disappointment in his voice. The orc had nearly ended him. Even now, returned to life by Len, Solus felt like a man who had been drowning all his life, suddenly drawn from the water, disoriented, and yet not able any more to remember what had come before the shock of waking. You handle that weapon as if it was made for you, says Stockholm, and Solus nodded in agreement. Yes, I know it well, and the longsword too. I suppose I've always known. The fighter replaces the blade to its scabbard and lays it down beside his plate mail. The hour is late and it is time to sleep. He finds his usual place on the chamber floor and soon Len comes to sit beside him, clasping her arms around him from the side. In a moment, they relax down upon the stone together and are joined next by Stockholm, and Tamek, and Kailana, and later, grudgingly, even by Echo. For a long time, Solus listens to their rattled breathing in the dark, until at last sleep takes hold, and he feels himself blacking out, going under once again. In the water, immersed, fighting for air, Solus found himself grasping through the depths, through the dark. Impossibly, he found another hand and pulled it towards him. Taste in his mouth was sand. He spit out water. Above him, the girl with the short cut blonde hair. She was drenched too, and she smelled of brine. Everything smelled of brine. So bright, a yellow eye shone down upon them and it was hot. They were soon dry, 
and they were thirsty. The girl said that her name was Lenora. Greetings, travelers of the maze. Your path has led you here for the nineteenth time, and as is my duty, I shall serve as your guide once again. Come, have a look. Your maze master has been diligent. Here are the first pages of the Iron Realm written guide. The work is underway. The scribe has not been lax. The chronicles shall be recorded so that none that has transpired will be lost. I still need your help. The work requires illustration. Favored would be black and white line art depicting characters and scenes from the realm. Can you provide it? Help me deliver this work unto completion. Send your contributions to your maze master at the address given later on the show. Will this work reach the light of day? You and I, my friend, will find the answer together. Iron Realm, copyright A.B. Lenzo, is the world's first play-by-podcast RPG campaign. A portion of tonight's female voice performance was drawn from audio originally created by and offered by Ashley Eddy through freesound.org under the Creative Commons Attribution License. Further information can be found at theironrealm.com or at theironrealm.blogspot.com under this episode's show notes. My sincere thanks as well to you, Ashley, for your masterful contribution to the Iron Realm cause. Level up. Welcome to the new Level Up segment, during which we raise the power of two of the group's rogues, Iona and Paola. Having surpassed the 1,200 level point mark, both rogues now advance to level 2, 
and are granted all the benefits that come with it. If you are playing along as Character 8, and if you have Iona or Paola as your shared fate counterpart, then you may go up a level as well as described earlier under the Character 8 segment. Note that Character 8 should follow the rules of that segment exactly since they are not a perfect match to the method I'll describe here for your shared fate counterpart. Let's begin. Firstly, both girls have identical stats, though they may not remain so after stat advancement. We begin with Strength of 12, Dexterity 18, Constitution 12, Charisma 11, Intelligence 14, and Wisdom 8. Let's do stat advancement for Iona. Strength 5, Dexterity 5, Constitution 4, Charisma 3, Intelligence a 6. Another roll for Intelligence, a 3, and Wisdom, a 4. Iona's intelligence has risen from 14 to a 15. And now Paola. Rolling the dice, starting with strength. A six. Paola's strength advances. Another roll for strength. A five. And dexterity? A one. Constitution? A one. Charisma? A one. Intelligence? A two. And wisdom? A six. Wisdom again? A five. And so to review, Iona's new stats. Strength 12, Dexterity 18, Constitution 12, Charisma 11, Intelligence 15, Wisdom 8. As for Paola, her new stats. Strength 13, Dexterity 18, Constitution 12, Charisma 11, Intelligence 14, and Wisdom 9. Paola is now benefiting from a plus one bonus in strength. And her wisdom penalty of minus one is now erased. Her experiences have served her well. Additionally, each girl's life points rise by four, giving Iona and Paola each a maximum of eight life points. At level two, their weapon skill remains the same, each girl is skilled with a sword and dagger, but no additional mastery will be gained until level 3. As for their rogue skills, they have advanced as follows. In order to pick locks, they no longer need to beat an 85 or higher, they now need only to beat an 80. In order to reveal traps, they no longer need to beat a 90, only an 85. Their Disable Traps rule requires a score higher than 85 rather than a 90, as it used to be. Expert Climbing requires a score higher than 12 rather than 13. Silence requires a score higher than 75 rather than 80. Blend with Shadow requires a score higher than 85 rather than a 90, while Pilfer requires a score higher than 75 rather than 80. 
their chance to successfully listen remains the same. They have a one-third chance to use the skill successfully. And finally, their backstabbing skill also remains the same, dealing two times the usual damage. Their saves and ability to hit also remain unchanged, whilst to level 3, requiring 2400 level points, beckons them both, if these thieves are clever enough to take the next prize. Legendary Powers There are many ways by which you, as a legendary power, may claim ranks of renown. The Sixth Path, Iron Realm fan art or fan fiction. Illustrate characters or scenes from the show. Paint gaming miniatures in the likeness of the tribe. Create fan fiction using the characters from the show. For every half hour of your craft, award yourself five ranks. Post your photos or your fiction online with a link back to the show in order to double your awarded ranks for the sixth path. And don't forget to send pictures to your Maze Master for inclusion on the Iron Realm website. I thank you for your valor. Real Roleplay The sand stretched on for a long time at the edge of an endless basin. They walked along it. Their ship had gone down somewhere. But it was just the two of them now. The girl reached out and held his hand. He looked into her blue eyes. She smiled. Hours must have passed. It was getting dark, and a cold wind was cutting in from over the water. Their tunics were not much protection, and so they moved inland. They moved in amongst the trees, which were sparse at first, but it wasn't long before the faint stars began to vanish beyond the canopy. There was a howl in the distance, and then two responses much closer. Lenora and Solus exchanged glances in the fleeting light, and they redoubled their pace, and they began to run. They made it down a steep slope and over a creek, but the hunters were getting close now. First, the girls spotted one on their left flank, and the boy caught a glimpse of one behind them. They were being herded. They were the prey. Mercifully, they came out of the woods where there was at least some light. They were exhausted. They had been running for a long while. 
They tried to catch their breath when a wolf came out of the woods, growling. It was then that they realized they had wandered out onto the edge of a precipice. And below, by the light of the stars, they saw the rocks, jagged and distant, where the ocean crashed against them. Another wolf came, and then another. They grabbed sticks and began to yell, making noise and trying to appear threatening. But the wolves were many, and the display did not unnerve them. The largest wolf approached. It was black, with a red stripe upon its back, and its eyes glowed in the dark. When Solus tried to warn it off again, Back off. the wolf leapt at him and struck. Uh. Lenora screamed uh. as it sank its jaws into his bicep. She despaired uh. as Solus struggled with the pack leader's weight, for she had no way to help him. Yet before the other wolves followed suit, a shadow appeared out of the tree line. It bore a sword, and it quickly sat upon a wolf. The blade came down, and the creature was slain. Here, said a man's voice, and he thrust the weapon into the air where it turned, and then fell near to the ground where Solus was. Solus kneed the pack leader, and then reached for the sword. He brought it around in a wide arc to strike the wolf on its hindquarters, then somehow maneuvered a thrust through the creature's skull, taking half of it off in order to free his arm. Lenora stayed close to him, and together they managed to get back to back with their benefactor. That man had an eye patch, and he was tall, and his features revealed that part of his bloodline was orcish. He pulled a second blade from a sheath upon his back and shouted to Solus to charge. The boy obeyed, and they acted in concert, each slaying another wolf, until at last there were only three animals remaining who fled. Words were said which Solus did not later remember, but he did remember following the half-work into the woods with Len in the dark. And he remembered at last coming into a clearing and finding a well there, ancient, made of ivory blocks, and a cabin behind it, or no, perhaps more like a shack. Still holding the sword, Solus at last tried to return it to him, but the half-orc refused it and told Solus that it was his now and that he had earned it. From the well, Lenora took water, and she tended to the wounds of the boy, thanking him for saving her life and thanking the orc man too. In the morning they trained, or perhaps it was several mornings after, the half-orc was called Dirian, and he knew the ways of weapons. Dirian had selected a mace for Lenora, while Solus learned the sword. The sword was made of iron, and although simply made, 
Solus noticed some faint embellishments on the metal, a few small swirls that showed the attention of the smith who made it. Solus turned the sword in his hands, admiring the strength of its lines and the weight of it. Darien grunted in acknowledgment as Solus studied it, for indeed, Darien had been the maker. They would spend many weeks in the woods like that, learning to fight, learning to survive in the company of the one who had saved them. Tribal Matters It is the eighth day of Primaris, 10 p.m. The group is on level one alpha of the maze in the moss lichen room, 40 across, 14 down, 42 across, 19 down. The group is rested and fed, and the entire group is now struck with the malady. Kana has the worst of it, afflicted with hallucinations and coughing up blood. The group has the following spells memorized. Kailana, Invisible Shield, Kai, Hovering Disc, Lilena, Sea Magic. Lilena now suffers a permanent blindness penalty of negative four. Life points for those wounded are as follows. Solus, one out of eight. Temek, five out of six. Kana, Two out of four. Glenn makes her rounds as those of the group find their positions for the night. She prays and does what she may to comfort them. Tamek, who has found himself gaining a newfound respect for Len's god, joins her in the prayers as well, and does what he may to assist. The watches chosen for the night are as follows. First watch, Paola Stockholm. Second, Treya Echo. Third, Kai Bardar. Fourth, Orson Lan. Fifth, Amazar Kailana. Roaming creatures through the night. The night passes uneventfully, though in the morning the group sees that they are faced with a wholly more sinister threat. Kana has relapsed into a catatonic state. Len is found, knelt beside her, with a hand upon the girl's forehead. Raying feverishly. Kana is allowed a saving throw against her constitution of twelve in order to avoid this deadly phase of the malady. With an eleven, Kana barely 
pulls through, her eyes flutter open, and she presents a weak smile. Here, says Tamek, water. He gives this to the girl, while Len works to make her comfortable. Here on the ninth day, the rest of the group takes water as well, and they partake of the mutton, which was secured from the beastmen the day before. By lantern light, that morning, Amazar memorizes Door Denial, while Treya memorizes Aura Against Evil, and Orson memorizes Invisible Shield. Iona and Paola experience insight into their craft by taking the time to study the collection of specialized rogues tools procured from the Beastmen. During training, Paola also discovers that the sword feels lighter in her hand, perhaps from the diligent attentions she has put to it over these past days. Tamek takes more time working with the meek Kailana and the serious Echo in order to further fashion his leather into a usable form. The work is long, but they make further progress. As before, Kailana offers thin, braided strands of her hair to serve as thread. These are accepted with gratitude, while Echo fights to thread them through the leather using a needle-like pick from the rogue's tools she has acquired. Some of the leftover scraps are put aside for torch-making and are passed to Stockholm. As they work, Temek removes his robes and offers these to Kailana in exchange for her attentions. I have this leather now, says Temek. Perhaps these will suit you better than they have me. For you, Kailana. Go on, put them on for me. It is true that the makeshift leather worn by Kailana has been bulky and unwieldy, especially for one accustomed to the craft. She looks to Echo for approval before stripping free from the makeshift leather and donning instead the purple robes. Originally meant for a small creature, the robes fall merely mid-length down her thighs, and yet her form is slight, and so the fabric, after all, serves her female form well. Temek is pleased by the vision of her, and receives a warm hug in return for his thoughtfulness, roaming creatures until two o'clock. The group is undisturbed, 
and are able to make their preparations. Stockholm assembles a vanguard, led by himself and Iona, followed up by Treya and Echo, guarded from the back by Orson and Paola. For the investigation into the maze, Stockholm leaves his sacks behind in order to free his hands for the battle axe. The vanguard also takes all empty water skins with them, for although their goal today is to discover a new camp, they will not miss the opportunity to refill their supplies. Each member of the vanguard has been touched by disease, but they opt to push on nonetheless in their attempt to outrun death. The group bids them luck, and carefully, with no lights lit, the other five are led into the labyrinth by Stockholm. As they go, Bardar secures the door behind before calling for help from Kai and Amazon to barricade the door with the dead orc. The maze yawns wide to accept those who would penetrate its depths. Yet what might come, none can say. Return again to the realm, for chapter 20 approaches. I have been your maze master, Abel Enzo. Remember, play hard or go home. Iron Realm! Good night, everyone.